Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Genesis. So good to have you with us today. My name is Paul, and I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, we're in the third week of this series called Our House. It's a series about all of the different relationships uh, we have. And just knowing this, that because we have a God who cares about every detail of our lives, uh, all of the intimate details, like we have a God who also cares about our relationships. And that's a good thing, uh, that he has something to say about the relationships that we're in. And we believe that because he cares about these details and these relationships, that he's got wisdom for us and guidance in, in all of these different relationships. Like we find in Proverbs chapter 24, verses 3 and 4, where Solomon says, By wisdom a house is built, that through the wisdom of God and following his word, like he can contribute to each of our relationships. And, and through understanding, it is established. He says, through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. And we kicked off this series a few weeks ago talking about the front door and the importance of boundaries and how good boundaries can help improve each of our relationships. Uh, last week, we peeked into the kids' room and we talked about the important role that every one of us plays as influencers to the young people in our lives. And today we come to the, the bedroom. And uh, we're in the bedroom today talking about how your marriage can survive even when your spouse snores. And uh, that's the issue in our house. It's me, right? I'm the snorer, but my wife has found relief in earplugs, all right, that they do work. No, seriously, though, this morning I want to talk to you about God's wisdom uh, for us when it comes to our romantic relationships uh, or the relationships that if you don't have one in your life right now that maybe you hope to have one day, but more specifically, why, why does the way we view our bodies and sexuality matter? Like, what does God have for us on these topics? And right from the beginning, I just want to say and acknowledge that I realize this topic is a controversial one uh, with all sorts of uh, different opinions represented uh, here today about what's right, what's acceptable, and what's wrong. I just want you to know right up front that I am not trying to single out anyone in any way here today. But the truth is this. The truth is that we live in a world today that places a lot of value on sexuality and on freedom and on acceptance. And the question that we have to open ourselves to as Christians is this, what does God think? Like what, do, what does God have to say about our lives and about our relationships and the way that we view our bodies and what wisdom and guidance does he have to offer for us, not even in just the issue of sexuality, but in all things, especially for those of us that wanna follow Jesus Christ in this world today. What does he have for us and would we be willing to consider that? And what does that mean if I'm a teen? All right, or what does that mean today if you're single? Or what does that mean if you're married or divorced? And the big idea for today is this, and if you're taking notes, you wanna write this down. The big idea is just this, that because God cares about my current and future relationships, how I use my body matters, All right? How you view your body and sexuality matters. And so I wanna look at some verses with you today that come out of 1 Corinthians. It's right in the middle of your New Testament. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter six, starting in verse nine. If you wanna use one of the Bibles around the room, it's on page 795. But Paul wrote to the Corinthians, to the Christians living in Corinth, to give them some guidance about their lives and about their living and about a higher calling that they had been called to as Christ followers in this world. Now, just to catch you up on some context here, Corinth, uh, was an ancient city, an important city in Greek, Hellenistic, and Roman times. Uh, it was a major commercial hub in the ancient world and a large city that welcomed lots of travelers on any given day. Corinth was also home to the magnificent temple to the goddess Aphrodite. Now, home to over, get this, <clears throat> 1,000 
temple prostitutes at a time, sex and worship were a daily affair in the temple. And so it's not a surprise then that Corinth was known for its rampant sexual activity, so much so that Plato, uh, the historian Plato, regularly used the term Corinthian girl to describe any prostitute. Uh, The ancient Greek playwright Aristophanes regularly used the phrase to act like a Corinthian as a general reference to any sexual activity outside of marriage. And so this is what Corinth is known for. In fact, if it existed today, they'd likely have a marketing campaign that says what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. I mean, really, it's, this is the kind of city that we're talking about. Well, the Apostle Paul planted a church there, and many people came to Christ, and he stayed for a season but then left, and it didn't take long before this church and the people in it really started to struggle with how to remain faithful and obedient to Christ, and so the outside influences were pulling them away and causing them to drift in all sorts of directions. Try and imagine what that would be like for just a moment, and can you imagine a culture with all of this emphasis on sex and debauchery? We couldn't imagine that in a place like America, could we, right? Well, 1 Corinthians, again, is a letter, a letter from Paul back to these Christians in Corinth, encouraging them how to live and how to live for Christ in a very difficult and complicated place. Now, before we look at this text together again, here's what I'm praying and here's what I believe that God may want to do in any one of us this morning. For some, for some of you today, I believe that you're going to hear this message and you're going to be thankful that we're addressing a, a difficult topic but an important topic because it affects us all. Uh, for some of you today, you're going to hear this message and maybe you're going to be encouraged this morning because you've aligned your life uh, with the scriptures and you're making difficult decisions right now. They're tough but you've made some really difficult decisions to living according to God's plans in your life. And so maybe today is just kind of a reminder that you are in fact living a life that is pleasing to God. Some of you maybe don't realize this this morning, but maybe you need to hear this message because maybe you find yourself in a tough situation right now, or maybe you're ready to make a difficult decision in your life of whether you're gonna honor God with your body or not. And this message today maybe will be the deciding factor for you. And so maybe God's gonna speak to you in some powerful way today and you're gonna respond to him accordingly, but I also know that some of you are going to just disagree with what I have to share today and maybe even be a little upset by it. And I just want to say this. Here's what I want to ask. I hope that if you've been here for a while, we've built up some relational equity with you. And And I hope and pray that maybe today I just might have an opportunity to cash in, if you would, some of that relational equity and that you'll at least hang with me until the end. And maybe even if you choose to disagree today, to to at least walk away from here and do some research of your own and really seek to understand what does God have to say about these things for 2018? Like how does this apply to my life and to this current culture that we find ourselves in? So let me pray real quick and then I wanna work through some verses with you. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning. We come humbly. We are trusting you, Lord, and we realize that there are some things at times that we read in your word that are difficult to process and understand, especially in a really difficult and complicated world today. Uh, Would you open our hearts and minds, Lord? Would you give us humility and just this ability to hear from you and to consider these things for our lives and how we might walk out of here in just a moment and maybe put them to practice. Uh, Give us trust. Again, uh, I I pray you'd work through me this morning. Lord, I I feel a little incomplete today in sharing this, but but I'm trusting that you're gonna take this, your your word, that you've said your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And I pray it would do just that today in a powerful way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so 1 Corinthians 
chapter 6, again, Paul is writing to Christians in Corinth, and here's what he says. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Remember, the apostle Paul had called these people to a higher living, a higher call, a distinct life in Jesus Christ. But now he recognizes and understands that these outside influences in the culture are causing them to drift, to pull people away. And so Paul says, don't be deceived. Be careful. Be careful with what you hear. He's basically saying, I know everyone around you is saying one thing. I know everyone around you is living one way. And I know the pressure is great, but I don't want you to give in. Don't turn your back on the Lord. You keep trusting the Lord. He goes on to mention some specific sins. Now, if you caught those, does that mean if you have failed at any of these at any point in your life that you are somehow disqualified from the love of Christ? No way. Absolutely not. These are not unforgivable sins that Paul's pointing out here, but instead, Paul's thinking about people who persist in these sins. Uh, He's making it a point to to say people who find their identity in something other than Jesus with little to no remorse for their sin or the word of God whatsoever. And and he refers to sexual immorality. He says sexually immoral. It's the Greek word pornea, all right? And I'll give you a guess on where, what word we get from that. If it sounds like a word you know, it's where we get the word pornography. It's the word pornea. And according to Paul and his understanding of the word of God, sexual sin is any sexual activity outside of one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. And so if this applies today, which I believe it does, that means sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend is sexual sin. Sleeping with your fiance is sexual sin, sexual immorality. Sleeping uh, homosexual sin is sin. So is viewing pornography. So is lust. So is going outside of your marriage for sexual pleasure, taking advantage, using your power to take advantage of someone else for sexual gain would all fall into these categories of sexual immorality. But he mentions more than sexual sin. Notice that he calls out the greedy and the drunkards and the slanderers and swindlers. He says, hey, you can't build your life on any of these and inherit the kingdom of God because none of these things can do that for you. But someone can And someone has, and he reminds him, he says, that's why Jesus died on the cross, to pay for every sin. Jesus died on the cross to pay for every sinner. The scriptures say that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so that just means that I don't care how you, good you or I think we might be. If you and I were to stand before God strictly on our own merits, we'd all be found guilty before God. And so Paul reminds them of this. He reminds them of a God who is rich in mercy, one who saw our sorry state of affairs, and he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place, to die a death that we could never die on our own, so that anyone who trusts in Jesus will have eternal life. And now the truth is, the truth of Scripture is that there is no condemnation for those that are in Jesus Christ. And so Paul points out out these things, but it's his condemnation of the ongoing practice. It's his condemnation of the ongoing sin. It's not a condemnation of people. It's the sin, and it's the practice that they continue in. Verse 11, he says, and that's what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I think those are really encouraging words. I love the opening of that verse. That's what some of you were, which just means that this church in Corinth was made up of all sorts of people, 
all sorts of broken people with past, but had found freedom and deliverance and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. These were people who had been touched by the power of Jesus and would never again be the same. And that's the good news for any one of us who comes to Christ, that if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, your past no longer defines you. Your past no longer defines you. You've been washed clean. Paul uses the word sanctified, which means we have been set apart. We are now a distinct people with a holy and a higher calling. He says that you have been justified, which just means you've been made right with God by the power of the Lord Jesus. And so the good news is that Jesus took on my punishment. The good news is that Jesus took on our punishment and set us free, and that's what you have in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is trying to remind these Christians living in Corinth. You're forgiven. You've been set free. You are a new person. Don't go back to your old way of living. Verse 12, he says, I have the right to do anything. Notice it's in quotes there. We'll talk about that in a second. You say, but not everything is beneficial. He says, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Paul is referencing some popular catchphrases of the day, different philosophies that people were pulling from and drawing from and justifying their own actions. Again, basically, many of these Christians were taking their new freedom in Christ, and they were using it as a way to live. It was kind of a license of sort, just do whatever you want, was kind of the new thought. And so what Paul is trying to say is, no, 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 you're missing the point here. Like, you're missing everything. You are free people now. You've been set free from the past. You've been set free from these things. You are free to live a new life in Jesus Christ. You've got the power in you, whether you realize it or not, to say no to sin and to choose a better way of life. And then Paul stresses something so critical at this time for every Christian living in Corinth. Not easy, but critical when he says your body is not meant for sexual immorality. But for what? Notice those words, the Lord. Your body is meant first and foremost for the Lord because he created you. And when you put your trust in Christ, it was God that set you free. Now, let's just note, Paul uses the Greek word here, soma, for body. And there's another word for body in the Greek language. It's the word sarx. It's flesh. It's more of the physical of our bodies. The word soma encompasses both uh, the flesh, but also kind of the, the, the spiritual aspects of our bodies as well. All right. And so what Paul knew, and I think what most of us realize is that sex is so much more than a physical experience, but it's something that impacts you physically it's something that impacts you mentally and spiritually in a really unique way. And so he says, and he reminds these people, don't give your body to just anyone or to anything because God cares and he cares about you and he cares about your body and because he made you, he cares about your present and your future relationships. And he knows that the way that you use your body today is going to impact these things. And then... He continues with these last seven verses here, starting in verse 14. Paul writes, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. 
Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh, which comes out of Genesis. And Jesus repeated those words as well. But he continues, verse 17, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Paul believes and wants these Christians here to realize that they're going to have their physical body for a really long time. And if you think about it, you know, Jesus was put to death, and we know that God raised him from the dead in his physical body. In fact, when Jesus appeared before Thomas, he was able to say, look at the scars in my hands, touch them and feel them. His physical body was a very real thing, and that God raised Jesus' physical body says something about the value that he puts on our physical bodies today. And so he goes on to remind them of of the truth revealed in Genesis 2, that when a man and woman have sex, that they become one flesh together. They are united together. I just, I wonder if that's part of the reason why divorce is so painful. I wonder if that's part of the reason why breakups are so hard after there has been a sexual relationship. One writer explained it this way. He says, go outside on a 20 degree below zero day and stick your tongue to a metal flagpole. He says, when you leave, you're gonna leave a little bit of yourself behind. You can deny it and say, it does hurt, right? But he writes, it hurts, right? It hurts, you've left something behind. And, And a really unique and I think maybe difficult way to explain as Christians, we're united with Christ. This is what the word of God teaches. And so we are a part of his body. And because of that, what Paul says is we shouldn't bring his body into sexual immorality. And the word he uses here is an interesting one too. It's this, this word for take is, is really a powerful description. It means to wrench or to remove forcefully. And so he says, then shall I, I then take the members of Christ's body, in other words, and wrench them away from Christ, all right, and unite them with a prostitute. And so he says, he explains, in order to pursue sexual immorality, you have to be wrenched away from being one with God. The implication, of course, then, is that we shouldn't do that. Paul says, quit doing these things. What's the answer? He says, flee. Notice those words again. He says, flee, run away from sexual immorality. Paul goes on to explain there's no other sin that affects the body like sexual sin does. And he makes a very clear distinction here again between sexual sin and all other sin for that matter. We do that too. Right, we're guilty of that as Christians at times, even as a church. We tend to think of sexual sins as worse than any other sins. That's not what Paul's trying to explain here, but instead he says, hey, you just, it's different. The way that, that sexual sin impacts our life and our relationships and our future relationships, it's just different. It's, it's challenging. And so it's going to have an effect. It's going to have an impact. And I think the evil one recognizes that. I think Satan realizes that today, and I think that's why he loves to use sexual sin as a way, uh, as a weapon of sorts, because he knows it affects our minds, he knows that it will affect our, our faith and our understanding, again, our present and future relationships. He's wise. He's wise in very clever ways. And, and notice the significance of Paul's words there, because your body is what? A temple for the Holy Spirit. Friends, if you are in Jesus Christ today, if you've put your trust in him, your body is a temple of the very presence of God. And so what we do with our bodies matters. 
because he purchased my life and he purchased your life and now we can live for him. And so part of that living means what we do and how we view our bodies matters. Now, why do we need a message on sexuality today? Well, I think because like the Christians living in Corinth, it's so easy to get desensitized and influenced and even confused about what's right or wrong or good or bad or best or worst. And when it comes to sex, you know, I think we all have a moral code, every single one of us. And Because isn't it true that matter, no matter how permissive we are when it comes to sexuality or no matter how restrictive we are, each of us has a line. That if it were somehow crossed, we would look at that and say, you know what, that's wrong. That shouldn't be done. And we didn't make that code up, but that code usually comes from somewhere. We're being influenced by something. And so the question is, what will you be influenced by today? And teens, what, what will you, where will you look for direction in your life when it comes to these matters of sexuality for all of us? There's a story I want to read for you that I think illustrates this well. It goes like this. The story is told about a captain of a ship who looked into the dark night and saw faint lights in the distance. Immediately, he told a signalman to send a message, alter your course 10 degrees south. Promptly, a return message was received, alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was angered at this. He, his command had been ignored, so he sent a second message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain of this ship. Soon after, another message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a seaman, third class Jones. Immediately, the captain sent a third message, knowing the fear it would evoke. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. And then the reply came, alter your course 10 degrees north. This is the lighthouse. <laughs> and I think that just illustrates so well that when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to living in this world, one of the questions that we have to answer for ourselves is this. Will I alter my course, allowing God and his word to shape my beliefs and the way that I live, or do I expect God to alter his course on sexuality for my sake and for my convenience? There are so many things that we could talk about in light of this passage today, things like obedience, but also understanding how sexual activity outside of marriage is going to impact you know, our present and future relationships. But before we do that, I want to just make one thing clear. God created sex. He's the creator, and it's, it's not a product of a fallen world. It's a good thing, and it was created by God. In fact, the very first command given to the first husband and wife was to be fruitful and to multiply. And not just for procreation either. He gave us sex because he loves to give us good things, and he designed it in such a way that it binds a husband and a wife together in a way like nothing else in this world can, and only from God. But here's the thing, just like you wouldn't start a fire in your living room outside the context of a fireplace that you knew would contain it, it's dangerous and irresponsible to have sex outside of the context for which God designed it. In fact, I love what pastor and author Tim Keller says about this. He says, you know, sex out of marriage lacks integrity. You're asking someone to do with their body something you're not willing to ask them to do with their whole life and with their whole heart. And I think that you know this, but at Genesis, we believe God's word is clear and, re and, and reveals that sexual activity is reserved for one man 
and one woman in the covenant of marriage and that any sexual activity outside of this is sexual sin. And so one of the questions, or maybe a few of the questions that might come up today is, well, what if I'm single? How does this play out in a really tough world today? Or what if I'm a teen right now and with all of the challenges and all the things that people are doing around me? Or what if I experience same-sex attraction? Or what if I'm not being satisfied right now in my marriage? Like how, or how am I supposed to have my sexual needs met? Well, my friend Jeff, who's a pastor, explained it like this, and I think this is so good. The first thing is to remember that sex is a desire and not a need. All right, it's a desire and not a need. And let me show you what I mean by this. Like, how long can you live without oxygen? Maybe a few minutes, right, if you're really, really good. Uh, how long can you live without water? Maybe a few days, maybe a little more. How, how long can you live without food? A week, a couple of weeks, a few weeks maybe, depending on what kind of shape you're in. How long can you live without sex? The answer is forever. And I know that might seem crazy in the world that we live in today, but consider this. Jesus died a 33-year-old virgin, and he was the most fully human person and satisfied person who ever lived. If you trust Christ, we believe that to be true. But let's get real practical. Like, if, if you want to live with integrity in this area, especially, again, with considering all the things that are going on around us today, just like these Christians in Corinth, if you want to live a life of sexual purity, what do I need to do when these sexual desires hit? In other words, if I'm not married or if I'm not getting what I desire out of my marriage, what do I do? Well, just a few things for us to consider before we close. I think the first thing is this, is just to recognize those triggers in your life. Uh, we all have these. And often sexual desire is really not about sex at all, but sometimes it's just you know when people are hungry or tired or stressed or depressed. And so when an urge hits you, maybe step back and think to yourself, okay, what is it that is triggering these things? Like, what am I feeling? What am I going through right now? And then look for a pattern. And don't indulge that desire and wrench yourself away from Christ. You know, hopping into bed or with somebody or turning on pornography for a quick thrill, that's just a shortcut. All right, it's a cheap substitute for the real intimacy that comes from sex in a committed marital relationship. It's kind of like turkey bacon, right? You know, it's just, it's not the real thing. Like you can pretend all you want, but it just isn't the same. And when it comes to what God wants for you, what he wants for us as his followers, especially when it comes to sex, don't accept cheap substitutes. Like God has a way, he has a path marked out for each of us and it's not worth the shortcut. And so he cares about our current and future relationships. And so what we do with our bodies matters. The second thing is this, put appropriate guardrails and boundaries in place in your life. And for teens, this is one thing. If you're single, if you're dating somebody today, even if you're married, we all need these guardrails. We need these different boundary markers. And we've talked about this before, about the importance of having these boundaries in place before you get there, before the temptation. Like don't wait until you're in a moment of temptation then to somehow figure out what your guardrails or your boundaries are. It's better to decide that well in advance. And why are boundaries a good thing? Well, consider this. Let me tell you a story. Not too long after I was out of college, 
a couple of buddies and I made a trip out to Winter Park, Colorado to ski. And I just want to recommend that if you ever go out to Colorado uh, to go specifically to the Rockies in the winter, not to rent a Dodge Neon, right? And that's what we did. But money for lift tickets was much more important than having a vehicle with four-wheel drive. And so we went out to Winter Park this day from Denver, a beautiful drive out, no troubles, clear roads, skied all day long. The drive back is when the snow pushed in. And if you've made that drive before, it's beautiful and terrifying at the very same time. Add snow and a Dodge Neon to it and it gets even worse with the sharp turns and the curves and the drop-offs. Thankfully, there are guardrails all along the way, but here's the thing about guardrails. The point is to see, not to see how close you can get to the guardrail, right? The point is to stay as far back as possible. And I think what we really need in our lives when it comes to sexual boundaries all right, and guardrails is to think for ourselves, how far do I need to stay back in order to honor God and to live for him and to live according to the plans that he has for my life, whether you're a teen, again, or single or married. And finally, let's just recognize this. It's okay to have sexual desires, all right, even if you're single and recognizing these feelings, you know, as a teen aren't wrong, but it's what we do with And it's how we act on those feelings, all right, that makes all the difference. And managing those feelings requires faith, all right, and trusting the Lord and and accountability. And again, having these appropriate boundaries in place. Know this, God's not holding out on us, all right? That's not the goal of this life, to see how much he can hold back from us. He wants to give us all of these good things, and he just knows what sex is capable of. And the good things, when handled appropriately, that sex can contribute to a marriage, And so if I can encourage you this morning, as the Apostle Paul was encouraging these Christians living in a very difficult society, he's just saying, don't just give your body away. Don't just give it away. Set appropriate guardrails in your life. Flee and and run from things like pornography. And if you you find yourself in an inappropriate relationship, get out now. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but you need to get these things into the light and you need to get on a track so that you can find healing and you can find forgiveness and you can find the restoration that God wants to give to you. And if you're struggling with the sexual sin in your life right now, I'd encourage you to find somebody that can help, somebody that you can talk to, whether that be a trusted friend or a counselor or a youth leader or a pastor or something. Don't try and go through this alone, right? It's very difficult to do these things alone, but most importantly, turn it over to the Lord because you know what? Our ultimate satisfaction will only ever be found in Jesus Christ. And that's true whether you're married and that's true whether you're single right now or divorced or a teen. Our ultimate, your ultimate satisfaction can only be found in Jesus. And it's only as we daily turn over our lives and surrender all of these things to him that he loves to help us and to care for us and to guide us and to provide for us. And I just want to say this to you before we close. I think it's safe to say that all of us have sinned sexually or will at some point in our lives. But the good news for us is this that the God who made us loves us and he's crazy about us and we have a redeemer in Jesus Christ that died in our place and we have a guide in the Holy Spirit who will lead us and will love to lead us daily and give us the power that we need to say no to sexual immorality so that we can say yes to more fully being united to Jesus Christ. And so flee sexual immorality. You and I, we were made for so much more.
there is a higher calling on your life as followers of Jesus. And let's do everything we can to live in that and pursue that together. Let's pray. God in heaven, we trust you with even difficult subjects like these. And and I understand there's probably a hundred different things that we could have talked about today, Lord. And I'm just trusting that you had good things in mind for each of us and with these words, and we'll just now work them out in our lives as we trust you. Father, uh, challenge us to open our hearts and to open our minds even to difficult things that maybe we don't want to acknowledge. And you know, if there's any guilt that is threatening to overcome us today, Lord, will you help us to see the power of your forgiveness, that guilt is not from you, and that you are a God that loves to forgive and that you want to redeem us and that you want to do good things in our life, that you have the best in mind for us in our everyday living in the way we view and use our bodies, Lord. Father, I pray that it would be our desire today to live and to trust you in all things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.